Welcome to another episode of The Injury Report. I'm your host, Joey Brenner, in Port Clinton, Ohio today, getting ready to go see the Cleveland Guardians take on the Boston Red Sox in Cleveland later today, celebrate my boy Cal McNelly's birthday, looking forward to that. And with that, we're going to start off with some MLB injuries. I still haven't gotten really into all of them yet, but... A few of the guys I have picked out are some impact players. So, Fernando Tatis Jr. has suffered a, he broke a wrist a while ago, and it was supposed to be a routine, you know, broken bone. There was no real ligament damage or um, injury to the wrist cartilage or anything in there. It was just one bone. It's called the scaphoid. It is at the base of your thumb and it articulates with the um, radius, that forearm bone in your, or bone in your forearm that is on the thumb side. So if you uh, put your palm out, it's, it's radial, it's on the outside, so that's your, your radius. And it was supposed to be a routine, you know, four to six weeks and then back, but he was still having pain with it. And the Scaphoid is shaped kind of like a kidney bean, so when it breaks, it only gets blood supply from the edge that comes, um, kind of the surface edge. So it and it goes in kind of towards the pinky then, and there's a little bottleneck there. And when that breaks, uh, there's no it doesn't get any blood supply sometimes if that little artery is broken in in the bone. And that's the case here. So pretty much he just had a, a non-union, which we've talked about before. So although the two pieces of bone were there and they kind of grew and healed themselves, they were not grown together. And because that other end did not get any blood supply, it was really not able to heal at all. So he had to have another surgery where they put a pin in it to kind of guide the bones back together, and that's going to be a couple months. So Fernando Tatis, who was the richest baseball player, he signed the most, the biggest contract ever a couple months ago. He had a motorcycle accident at the end of 2021 calendar year, and it's in his non-dominant hand, so it's not as big a deal. You know, your power hand is your dominant hand when you're hitting and when you're throwing, so he, he shouldn't lose too much. It's just the, the twisting over. So one way to tell if you have a broken scaphoid is you find the anatomical triangle of your muscles that there, there are a couple tendons in your from your forearm muscles that run into your thumb. So if you make like a high five, you can feel the one go down the back of your thumb, tense up, and then just inside of that on the back of your hand, you kind of play around in there, you'll feel another tendon, and if there's any pain or soreness, you can kind of feel the end of that scaphoid right in there, and uh, pain in, in that area is usually associated with a scaphoid injury. So that's the most common broken wrist bone as well. Moving on to Freddie Peralta, who is a right-handed pitcher for 
the Milwaukee Brewers, he actually strained his Terry's minor, which is the one of the more uncommon, one of the less common injuries for a rotator cuff. So the Terry's minor is it comes hangs off the edge of the scapula, your shoulder blade, and then it wraps around to the greater tubercle around the outside of your arm to kind of the front. And when that contracts, it helps with external rotation. So opening up. So if you um, bend your arm to like flex your biceps and your fist is pointed forward, if you're going to point it out to the side without unbending your arm, that's kind of the motion of that teres minor. And it's helped with the infraspinatus does the same thing, which starts underneath the um, scapular spine and then inserts at the same spot. So those two work together. The teres minor is a little bit smaller because it, it's on the edge and it's a, a lot thinner. So that strain is probably, again, it's not from the throwing motion as much as stopping the throwing motion. So it's going to be stretched and strained that way. You know, those guys, like we talked about last time, they th- put so much torque on that arm and they're throwing their that um, humerus muscle or bone out of that socket that's not very big. And uh, Terry's minor and infraspinatus that do a, um, they have a big role in holding that bone into that joint. So that whip motion, trying to throw that out, um, the Terry's minor is going to help try and keep that in there. So there are some ways to a lot of pitchers and quarterbacks will work on those muscles and you can do a lot of banded work. So if you're facing a wall or something or a bench or a rack, let's say, and the tie, your band is tied around the rack on your, let's say it's lined up with your left shoulder, then you grab it with your right hand facing it, the rack, and then pull out. So you can find muscles for that. Then you do the opposite going in. So you start in that outward position and then pull in. That would help with your subscapularis, which is underneath the um, underneath the scapula. And that's for internal rotation. Um, the infraspinatus is also helped with that teres minor with the external rotation. You can also put raise your um, humerus out with like a deltoid raise, bend your arm in, and then kind of do like the touchdown move. That will help. You can look these up. That'll help with uh, strengthening and warming up those rotator cuff muscles. And then the other one is if you want to hit your supraspinatus, which is just above the spine, that's going to help with, um, that's actually the most commonly impinged and injured rotator cuff muscle, which we talked about because of the path it takes through the um, clavicle and sp- or, uh, spine of the scapula. So between those two, those are the that's the most common injury for the rotator cuff, and that is actually helps with the first ten to fifteen degrees of raising your arm in a lateral raise. So if you just go all the way down in your lateral raises, you can hit that muscle as well. And then that is all for our baseball talk at the moment. We also had the NBA draft last night, and there are a couple guys who have had some injury history. So I just want to touch on that. Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky, he 
was he was drafted by the Grizzlies, 29th overall, and he had missed a couple games this year with a an ankle injury. The same for Johnny Davis, who missed a couple games for Wisconsin. He was drafted 10th overall by Washington. Both those guys missed, had ankle injuries that they didn't really look the same after coming back from. So, I th- I mean, obviously they've been through their workouts, and I don't think it affected either of their draft stock. I think Johnny Davis actually moved up four or five spots from where he, he was projected a late lottery, and, you know, he kind of, he's in the back half of the lottery, but he's still a top-ten pick. Uh, it's probably both of them had that anterior talofibular ligament. Remember, that's the most common. They just had low ankle sprains, missed a couple games, um, and they were both – played in the their conference and NCAA tournaments respectively and it didn't affect their draft stock it didn't seem to but just something that they were not the same at the rest of the season so hopefully they can get their athleticism all the way back Patrick Baldwin who was the number one recruit supposed to be a number of years ago coming out of high school had an ankle dislocation his senior year and decommitted from Duke and ended up playing for his pops at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee and so an ankle dislocation is pretty much that talus which is the bone that sits on or it communicates with the fibula and tibia and gives you the up up and down motion to be able to push off not it's not your heel bone it's not your calcaneus it's your talus it's kind of inside there it will dislocate, and because that fiber, all those fibers and casing, you know, it's all so tight in there, a lot of times what happens is the edges of the medial malleolus, which is the your inside ankle, and then your lateral malleolus, both of those will kind of break off of your tibia and fibula, respectively. So you're going to need surgery to kind of connect those. So it's not that the just the, you know, tibia and fibula come away from the ankle. It's that the ends of the tibia and fibula break off of that talus, or they break off of that and then stay with the talus. So both of those are usually going to get plates and screws to kind of help those heal, and that's a big-time surgery. Um, He was able to still make it into the first round being drafted by Washington as well. 28th overall and you know that could be a steal considering that he was one of the top guys coming out of high school maybe he gets some of that continues to rehab get some of that strength back and can develop into a good pro but uh it definitely hurt his draft stock as he was supposed to be you know one of the number one guys coming out aj griffin from duke he had a preseason knee strain but he was drafted and he did fall a little bit but he was drafted by Atlanta 16th overall, so that's a good uh, get for them. And then Chet Holmgren, who was drafted second overall by Oklahoma City, who they just got everybody tall they could, it seemed, last night. They he was uh, He's just very thin. He doesn't have any injury history yet, but if you look at a lot of guys who have you know, explosive joint problems. He's not as explosive, so I'm, I'm not going to say he's in risk of like a Derrick Rose type injury or, you know, some of those guys that just put so much torque on their body. It's more just the wear 
and the tear. One of the things I like to look at is for NFL draft prospects, you can really tell some guys just have thicker knees and elbows. They're just put together better. You know, those are places you don't have a lot of muscle. You can hide shoulder, you know, having a small frame shoulder by just being big. You can hide that in your hips. You can hide that in a lot of places, but your knees and elbows aren't protected as well by muscle over top of them. And the guys that just have thicker knees and elbows, they just do better. They seem to be more injury preventionable, like um, Mayer, Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. He's a tight end, and he just has an NFL body. You can you can tell looking at him. He came to Notre Dame with one. They've developed him quite a bit. And now that he has the muscle, he already had the frame, though. His knees, elbows, ankles, wrists, they were just bigger. Uh, you, you see a lot of guys that have a lot of the measurables, and they just don't have it in some of those joint areas. They're just not put together as well. So that's that's my concern with him. It's a pretty common concern. But um, he could be a good player. We've seen thinner players perform in the NBA before. Obviously, Kevin Durant has you know been really good, but even he and he played a long time before he had any injuries. So it's it wouldn't be unheard of. It's just going to come down to what is his role and how much abuse can he take in the NBA. And those are the only real injuries that popped up in my scouting of the NBA draft. My Heat got Nikola Jovic, so hopefully he'll be a back-to-back NBA MVP just like Nikola Jokic. And we'll move on to hockey. I have kind of quit with hockey injuries because they're just so vague. Kadir came back for the Lightning and they've they've had some guys in and out with knees and ankles and hands, but they're up 3 to 1 over Tampa Bay who has just looked older and slower and it might just be the end of their insane run. And that wraps up our injury talk for the week and we're going to go to our injured and recovered segment. Injured is the Nets. They are in danger of losing both Kyrie and KD. KD put out or Kyrie put out a list of a bunch of teams that he wanted to go to. None of them have the cap room for him right now, and I don't think many of them want him. He put the Heat on that list, and I don't want him on the Heat. He doesn't fit the Heat culture. Uh, he's you know he's a great talent. I think if he would fit anyway, I'm talking myself into him right now, but I really don't think there's a lot of people that would be willing to get rid of a whole lot for him and his contract. On the other side of that is KD, who said he'll be monitoring the Kyrie and the Nets situation, and I think a lot of people would pay a lot of money for him. He, I think he'd still, on a, any given healthy year, he's a top 10 player at any point. And he can just turn it on. He's one of those guys who can do it. I think that he, they said that that would be the biggest trade package. And he might be the best player in NBA history to ever be traded. He's a little late in his career. He has some injury stuff in the past. But, you know, if he can play for the last 20 games of the regular season, get in shape and just time it up for a, a playoff run he'd still be a valuable asset to whatever team would take a chance on him and be willing to give up that much to 
to take a chance on him. Recovered is the Pistons. They had a great draft with getting Jaden Ivey, who the Kings and Kings fashion left the uh, what would be clear, what most said was the clear number four on the board at the pick number four. They passed up on him and took Keegan Murray out of Iowa. I mean, who's a good player, but just, you know, it seemed like every, it's one of those things that seemed like they tried to outthink themselves and outthink the internet like so many times GMs do. And then they traded for Jalen Duran and then even pulled off Kemba Walker later in the night. So the Pistons might have a good young core, kind of like the Cavaliers have recently. And, you know, that, that could be fun. Again, I don't think either of them are real contenders, especially in the East, where the two teams in the finals of the East might not have even been the best teams there were because the Nets could be better. Philadelphia definitely will be better. I think Philly and the Bucs are the two best teams in the East. And then you still have the Celtics and Heat who played in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think either of the other two teams will be able to compete with them, but the Cavs and Pistons could still give teams like the Hawks, who they already did, give them a run for their money. Injured is the PGA. The Live Golf Tour is taking over. They're doing... There's a, a podcast called Freakonomics, which is comes from a book that I like. And... They talk about sports washing recently, so a lot of, like, you know, you see a lot of these governments like Russia and China hosting Olympics recently, and it's just a way for them to be like, oh, no, look, you know, we're not doing all this bad stuff. Come on, let's go have a good time. So, and they're uh, trying to win at other sports and just kind of put themselves up there with, you know, like, wow, look at that work ethic, change the narrative about their culture and everything. I don't think it's going to take away from the Saudi Arabians, and I think that's going to be the focus for a little while. But the business plan seems to be working, and they have all the money to be able to do it. So the PGA is injured, and I just saw that they're banning live players from some upcoming tournament, which I don't think they wanted to anyway. But because they don't really have final say over the, the four majors, they really don't, I don't think, have any real control recovered texas texas is back they have now have quinn ewers who is set to take control of them that team that offense for the next couple years who transferred from ohio state and now they have arch manning committed for a couple years after him steve sarkeesian all i've heard about is the great offensive line they have and what he's been able to do for the program and that'll definitely help the rest of their recruiting so They'll have Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson over the next couple of years, or before Arch gets there, and then Arch will have his couple of years. Texas is 100% back. Uh, I saw that Texas plays Ohio State in, at Ohio State in a couple of years, so maybe Arch will get a Baker Mayfield type moment and be able to plant the flag. Uh, that'll be a great game. A lot of you know two great brands going to be going at it in a couple of years. Injured is fashion at the NBA draft. I mean, we, we've seen some tough looks back to the 2003 draft is a famous one when LeBron and the crew, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, Mello, they all have the huge oversized suits. But last night, I don't know why this is becoming a trend, but 
wearing suits with your without a tie and then having your dress shirt still buttoned all the way up. It just looks very nerdy to me. And I, I am a nerd too, so that's that's not a good look. Maybe I'm just behind, that which is probably the the more likely case, but I just think it looks dorky and if you're not gonna wear a tie, you gotta pop pop it one you know, one or two down a little bit. Recovered is the NBA offseason. They you know that we had the one Kemba trade, but we already have the Kyrie and KD news heating up. Bradley Beal is gonna be a big time free agent, Zach Levine. And all of these guys are going to be free agents next week, 6.30, June 30th is when they will hit the books. I'm excited to get into that. You know, it's like we have the NBA, the start of the regular season. We get uh, some buzz, see the new lineups and everything. Every once in a while, somebody will have a big game or there'll be a fight throughout kind of football season. Then things turn back to the NBA for the all-star break, Christmas Day, which is now football. Usually, though, Christmas Day was a tune-in, then the All-Star break, then right before the playoffs, kind of jockeying for position, the playoffs, and now we have the draft and um, free agency right after the season. So they do a good job of kind of letting football take over from July to, you know, mid-July to October, but they've done a great job of taking over and staying relevant throughout the other nine and a half months of the year. So good for the NBA. Injured, Miami football is uh, their, you know, their big accomplishments are they had Big Ben and uh, Coach Sean McVay. They're building a statue to Sean McVay. They're just doing anything they can to turn themselves into a football school. I have a brother who goes there, a little sister who's going to go there, and it's just a, it's a hockey school. That's I have friends that have been there. It's just a hockey school. That's what rules. And I don't think building a statue to a Super Bowl coach is really going to help. And I don't know why you would do it because I don't think he had crazy success while he was at Miami. So it's an interesting move, to say the least. And then recovered is going to be Ryan Rollins and Toledo men's basketball. He was drafted by the Warriors last night, and that is awesome for him. He, unfortunately, he's going to be, I think, the only guy for on the roster that doesn't have a ring because they just won one. But if he can develop into a guy who can give um, Andrew Wiggins some spells, that would benefit the Warriors, benefit Wiggins, and I think you know he's an athletic enough guy and a shooter good enough shooter that he should be able to, I, I'm hoping he can fill that role. That's, it's really fun to see some action, make it into the NBA. That wraps up today's episode. Enjoy your weekend.